week, Swinging Stocks acknowledges the traditional custodians of Australia's lands, skies and waterways and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is brought to you by SelfWealth and operates under AFSL number 421789 as general advice only. Because we can't take into account your personal objectives or financial situation, you should seek independent professional financial advice before making any investment decision. For more information and our financial disclosure statement, check the show notes. Are you one of the 66%? Money is incredibly visceral. One week, 120K, 7,589 points. Technical recession early in 2023. I will share a very dirty secret. We do obsess over our investments. Control the things we can. $14,000 into my brokerage, $1,265 in dividends, $260 in franking credits. I check my portfolio every day. I think I want to coin this inflation ignorance. Welcome back, friends. It's me, Alex, coming back at you with another 0 to 100,000 series. I remember when I was clawing my way out of the negative net worth hole, thinking about how life would just be easier on the other side of $100,000 in net worth. People seem to just jump leaps and bounds once they hit $100,000. One week, 120K. The next week, they were looking at the underside of 300K. Life was simple when compound interest was doing so much of the work for you. For anyone who, like me, may only recently be hitting their stride with investing in their finances or even increasing their net worth, I'm here to ask anyone who was compounding thousands in a bull market, where are you now? Because the crypto and finance bros are all quiet. Because as the weather warms up to summer and the market seems to be issuing a no recess order worldwide, I feel like I need to check in. How are you doing? Thanks for asking. I am not okay. In January of this year, and it is hard to remember quite back that far, we were still in a hot dang stupor over the stock market. The ASX had closed on the 4th of January 2022 at 7,589 points. And while everyone was talking about inflation, certainly fixed-term mortgages were starting to price in the pain we were all about to be in, I'm not sure anyone was taking the talk all that seriously. We were all on some sort of fever dream high. Crypto was clocking in Bitcoin at all-time highs, and Elon was tweeting about a new altcoin every single week. I think I want to coin this inflation ignorance. We all knew it was coming, but we didn't want the fun to end. And I guess for any of the millions of investors who had invested for the first time in 2020 and 2021, it felt like a party that never had to end. The only way it seemed the stock market was going was up. But inflation, Ukraine, supply chain issues from the pandemic all came out to one big, the party's over sad balloon sound. Have you ever been to a party where you rock up a little bit late and most of the drinks are gone and your best friend's jerk boyfriend has taken the orcs cord to totally kill the mood with some lo-fi hip hop? Well, my friends, we're at that sad hour of the party. The Financial Times surveyed 49 macroeconomists in the United States and found that more than 66% believe a recession will hit in 2023. Australia's Treasurer Jim Chalmers is also on the bandwagon. He's forecasting at least a technical recession early in 2023 as we continue to battle inflation, supply chain issues and the after effects of the pandemic spending. 
It is one thing to rationally understand that the market goes through retractions and understand that, I don't know, bar an international apocalypse, we'll come out of this too. But when you're in the thick of it, it can feel overwhelming and you're not alone. Consumer confidence is slipping. Roy Morgan found in the last month that consumer confidence is down 0.4 points from last week, from a staggering 17.8 points from the same time last year. Now, to put that into context, basically what that means is that 41% of Australians surveyed reported feeling as if their families were worse off from the same time last year. And 66% of Australians say that in a year's time, they think their financial situation either won't change or will actually get worse. So I have to ask, are you one of the 66%? Because this is in real stark contrast to the economic reality that is we live in Australia, a country that for the last 29 years has had not a single recession. But we're not the norm. The decades of economic prosperity actually go against every international trend where market retractions and recessions actually occur pretty regularly on average, every seven to 10 years. And again, statistically, they seem to last around 11 months or so. But for anyone who has diligently continued to dollar cost average into your investments, watching yourself pour thousands into the stock market with nary a thank you in the form of a positive percentage uplift in the value of your stocks feels a little bit like being told to suck eggs. As someone from the generation of instant gratification, I just want to say... While I logically, rationally, and statistically know that I'm doing the right thing in continuing to dollar cost average into the investments that I've chosen, living through it feels different. In January of 2022, I set some lofty financial goals. I always like to shoot for the stars because I know even the moon will be an incredible feat. The goal was to increase my net worth to 250,000 and get my total investments to 150k inclusive of super. And for reference, we're 10 months from when I kicked off that goal. So more than 75% of the way through the year. I've invested $14,000 into my brokerage, far less than I thought I would. I've reinvested $1,265 in dividends. I received $260 in franking credits. And I set aside $3,600 in voluntary pre-tax superannuation contributions. And I made about $390 in post-tax personal super contributions. The bulk of the difference between what I wanted to invest has actually gone into savings for our wedding, holidays, and just bulking up our emergency fund given the market volatility. But despite that, I've put almost $20,000 across various accounts into my net worth, not including the amount I've saved. And my net worth you would have expected it to click over from 180K to, I don't know, low 200s. Do you want to know what it is currently? It is almost to the dollar, exactly the same as it was at the beginning of this year. And I use an Excel spreadsheet to track my net worth as well as other apps, but the spreadsheet in particular gives you a trend line for where you're going. And I like this because I like to be able to manipulate the numbers and kind of see how I'm doing. And watching my contributions line continue to increase every month as my net worth makes some sort of, I don't know, sad trumpet noise is not fun. So I'm there with you. But look, I do want to put this into context. I don't expect anyone to start playing me any small violins. I'm certainly not playing one for myself. I'm doing okay. I have $180,000 in net positive assets. I have a good, reliable job that I love. I'm privileged to be healthy, to have savings, to be able to weather and to be able to afford the coming storm. 
But I am here to say that if there's anyone like me who feels like you're stuck in the mud, it's okay. Investing is not all flashy cars and 10x to the moons. It really is how you frame it. According to Warren Buffett, no one should be turning a blind eye to the opportunity we are currently in. Back in 2008, during the very darkest days of the global financial crisis, he said, in short, bad news is an investor's best friend. It lets you buy a slice of America's future at a marked down price. What does that even mean? Buffett is notorious for many things, but I love his advice on keeping it simple and more importantly, guarding against human emotion. Because the GFC was only a crisis if you were trying to sell in those days of low liquidity and huge losses. But for everyone else, if you're seeing the value of your stock slump, it's a paper loss. And that doesn't make it hurt any less, but it does help to put it into context. Because while keeping it simple is good advice, you do have to hold your nerve during market volatility. You do kind of have to guard against those intrusive thoughts of what if the market never recovers? What if you lose money? But if you've invested prudently and you've done so with a long-term outlook, you're diversified. The reality is that the inherent value of your investment hasn't changed from when you bought it. The market has simply adjusted its outlook. So what does Buffett recommend? He's previously said that unless someone has a day a week to set aside researching investments, his advice is to dollar cost average. The reason this is powerful advice is because dollar cost averaging lets you ride the wave down and more importantly, back up. It's backed by data. Statistically, it stacks up. The longer you hold a quality investment, the lower your likelihood of loss goes. Another reason I like it is because what it does is reframe investing from something you do on impulse to something you do as a habit, and more importantly, a consistent one. And that way, you're less likely to make an impulsive choice based on an arbitrary and short-term view of price and more likely to consider your investments against long-term trends and long-term value. If you dollar cost average fortnightly or whatever cadence that's right for you, you make investing as habitual as going to the gym or going to work. You wake up on payday and you invest according to your plan. There's no FOMO. There's no second guessing yourself. There's no waiting for the best price, whatever that is. You just invest and hold. And I've really taken that to heart, especially in these times where the temptation to make impulsive choices simply based on price is really alluring. Instead, I've set an amount that I'm comfortable investing at the moment and that's it. It gets deducted from my account on payday and it gets invested. I don't think about it. It's as simple as waking up in the morning and making a coffee. The second component of Warren Buffett's advice is about emotions. And look, I'll say this as someone whose rational brain and emotional brain very rarely meet in the middle for a kiss. Money is incredibly visceral. If you've ever been looked over for a promotion, lost $1,000, missed an opportunity to make some money, you feel it. The loss cuts deep. And a lot of people make decisions about the stock market impulsively because it is money. It feels tangible when your portfolio is in the red. It can feel like you've lost money. But money and value are not to be mistaken for the same thing. 
While $2 coins can be replaced with one another, I'm certain that you'd not give up the jumper your grandmother knitted you for $5, though that's how much it might be worth to me. Its value to you is much higher. And yet, and I'm guilty of this too, we don't view our investments with the same lens. I look at the 20 or so K I've sunk into the market and I feel a little bit queasy. Why can't I see that value reflected in the current price? The problem, as I refrain from doing something insane like liquidating it all, is to do something very boring. I go to my PDS. The product disclosure statement is actually very helpful in these times because a lot of them, especially for ETFs or listed investment companies, have a recommended investment time frame of five to seven years. Now, there might be plenty of rational reasons to sell. Your thesis changes, you hit your sell price, you want to take some profits, hundreds of other things you might be doing it for. But for anyone who started investing in 2020, I just want to remind you of one thing. You have not yet reached your minimum recommended investment timeframe, i.e. the timeframe at which you are unlikely to suffer a loss. This is the timeframe which funds recommend you keep money invested in, in order to avoid a loss. And there's no rocket science to it. It's backed by the stats I gave you before. It's literally an estimation of the average period of a stock market cycle, roughly five to seven years against the risk profile of the fund you've invested in. Now, riskier investments will have longer periods, less risky investments, shorter periods. Cash, for example, has a minimum investment time frame of, well, it doesn't. You put it in on Monday and you take it out on Tuesday and your $1 is the same. The stock market is the same but inverse, and the uncertainty caused almost entirely by people's emotions making emotional decisions about projected future events means that Monday and Tuesday are actually very bad timeframes to be assessing your returns. And yet I completely understand why we do obsess over our investments. I will share a very dirty secret with you. I've never spoken about this online because it goes against every grain of like financial wisdom. I check my portfolio every day. I know, I know. Despite vast amounts of evidence saying, don't do that, that's silly, and vast amounts of psychology saying, that's the worst thing you could do. Problem is, I, I don't care. Because I don't have visceral reactions to the amount in my brokerage fund like I used to, I actually just enjoy seeing how I'm tracking and I find the movement of the market quite an intellectually interesting exercise. And look, mostly it's probably a very specific form of financial anxiety where feeling like I have enough money, feeling like my investments are tracking towards financial independence. Look, all of that quite honestly ladders up to a feeling of financial peace that I'm getting closer to my financial trajectory. If you, like me, also have a niche and undiagnosable form of incurable money phobia, be it in the form of intergenerational migrant money trauma or some other adjacent concern, then you might like to know what I'm doing even if to just avoid doing it yourself. The point is that I had a good long look at my investments as the market started to detract, and I considered it against long-term market cycles. I thought to myself, is this portfolio on par with my risk profile? Was I too aggressive in equities without sufficient defensive assets? What was the mix of equities versus defensive assets if that was even part of my portfolio mix? How much cash did I have? Were my investments too stacked in one particular sector? Was I over-indexed in a particular 
type of investment. I actually only made very few changes. Realistically, on the whole, I just doubled down on my existing strategy. And one thing I did do, though, that was the most significant change was I looked at my emergency fund. And quite honestly, I have a fairly reliable job. I have multiple streams of income. But just looking at that emergency fund against the possibility, in fact, the quite likelihood of a recession in 2023, my emergency fund felt low. And look, everything's getting more expensive. We're planning a wedding. We've got significant cash outflows at the moment. We're thinking about kids in the next couple of years. For me, the thought that was on my mind that I was trying to sort of resolve was bolstering savings in a way that felt like it was still delivering a decent financial return and not just cash that I was hoarding because I was anxious. So I actually just increased my emergency fund by one month, one additional month to four months. And the other activity I did was I started a monthly financial check-in with my partner. He thinks it's largely quite a repetitive and boring activity, but I find it the most thrilling date night. That actually tells you a lot about us, but he's a natural saver and I'm a natural warrior. So I find it a really good way to connect on the financial goals we have at a strategic level. And then we leave the technical stuff to each of us to sort out on our own. I also looked at my investment cadence and the amount I was investing and to call back to me trying to turn investing into a habit as opposed to something I did on impulse, I decided to automate this once and for all. So it's a direct debit on payday. I don't think about it. And I have actually found that it lessens the emotional reaction I have to having to invest. And I did slightly reduce the amount I was investing each fortnight, but only because I was bolstering my emergency fund at the time. And I've gone back to my old rhythm. And to be honest, getting the buy confirmation email every Wednesday brings me an inordinate amount of joy. Finally, I'm just trying to accept that I'm currently walking around a discount department store that is the stock market right now. That doesn't mean I need to head directly to the bargain bin and start buying the cheap stocks that no one wanted before the retraction and that frankly still aren't worth the price they're asking. But I can continue to invest according to my existing strategy and wait for the market to grow again. I'm fully prepared that that might not be until late next year. But it doesn't matter. I don't need the money right now. I've planned to not even need the money five to seven years from now. Otherwise, I would have invested it as cash savings for short-term needs. So while we could all spend time worrying about what the market will do, a far better use of our time is to control the things we can, how much we save, how much we invest, how much we spend, and how much we set aside for a rainy day. Because in all likelihood, we'll look back on this moment in five years and think about what a great financial opportunity it was. And we'll also be in awe about the difference in our net worth between now and then. So rest assured, we're all in the same boat and we're all going to be okay. Until next week, thank you for hanging out with me on Big Swinging Stocks. Bye for now. 